Ever heard all of the bullish cases for Bitcoin wrapped up into one? Well, that's what you're going to get in today's read, thanks to an awesome thread by Brandon Quittum. So let's get into it. The best in Bitcoin made audible. I am Guy Swan, and this is Bitcoin Audible. What's up, guys? Welcome back to Bitcoin Audible. I am Guy Swan, the guy who has read more about Bitcoin than anybody else you know. And uh, we've got a great read today brought to you by Hexa Wallet, a uh, wonderful mobile wallet with multiple accounts, built-in batching, custom fees, and tons of other great features. Uh, find them at guyswan.com hexa. And of course, the Bitbox hardware wallet, a minimal secure, open source, Swiss-made hardware wallet for your Bitcoin cold storage. And they happen to be compatible with one of my new favorite uh, wallet software on desktop, which is Spectre. You guys should check that out if you haven't, but you can check out the Bitbox hardware wallet at guyswan.com bitbox. Now for today's episode, we are getting into some really fun, this is actually a Twitter thread by Brandon Quittum. And uh, as the title suggests, we are going to be uh, just crazy, insane, bullish today because it's just too much fun not to be. And right now, uh, you know, this is the perfect this is the perfect time. Uh, we are over still over nineteen thousand dollars, and uh, looks like we're holding holding pretty strong right now. Uh, and we could we could very likely see uh, an all time high in the not too distant future. And so let's talk about all of the ways, the reasons, and the cases for a $20,000 plus Bitcoin. Why should Bitcoin be higher? What is its value case? Why are we bullish? All the ways that we are bullish. And Brandon Quittum has a perfect thread breaking down so many of the bullish uh, feedback loops and cases for the Bitcoin protocol. So we're going to get right, in, right into it. We're going to get into the Twitter thread, and I'm going to have a really fun guy's take uh, adding to and expanding on what Brandon drops in this thread. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get bullish AF with Brandon Quittum. A quick thread about Bitcoin and the power of incentives. For Bitcoin to reach global dominance, it must inspire a vibrant ecosystem of allies. Quote, Show me the incentives, and I'll show you the outcome. Let's go. Bitcoin attracts new users for many reasons. Getting wealthy, staying wealthy, to preserve freedom, minimize violence, empower the poor, or increase prosperity in the world. Users are incentivized to defend the network, improve the network, and onboard new users to the network. Investors buy Bitcoin to generate wealth. Quote, Bitcoin was designed to pump forever, Matt O'Dell. Bitcoin is the best trade of the century. It will be obvious in hindsight. Massive wealth transfer is coming. Billionaires need Bitcoin to protect their wealth. They have a lot to lose and they're vulnerable to confiscation. Bitcoin is insurance against collapse, confiscation, or a greedy state. Billionaires make powerful allies in the battles that come. 
A clip from CNBC Squawk Box. Can I use Bitcoin to buy my, uh, yes, you can. my ticket? Yes, you can. Yep. To, to go up? Yes, you can. Yep. I don't need quite as many uh, now at 12. I didn't look at it just now, but were, were you surprised at the speed? You need 20 of them. Look, yeah, we were surprised. How many times? Oh, but but from 4,000, well, I recently became more, more in tune with without works. So I, and I was actually down at about 9,000 when I, when I realized that distributed ledgers probably imbue more inherent value on, on something than, 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 I, uh, than a government. We've does. had this conversation for five well, or six years. I didn't years. listen I'll, to you back then. I'll say the same <laughs> I thing I said six years ago when it was at 80 bucks a coin, which is it is the single best hedge against the traditional financial infrastructure. Whether you support fiscal and monetary policy or not, it doesn't matter. This is the schmuck insurance you have under your mattress. Bitcoiners adopt Bitcoin because it's the right thing to do. The current system is broken. Bitcoin shifts power from incumbents to an intolerant minority of cypherpunks, polymaths, freedom maximalists, and first principle thinkers. Bitcoiners will build a better world. Corporations need Bitcoin to protect their balance sheets. While governments compete to devalue their currency, many corporations cannot generate a positive return on capital. Bitcoin protects the treasury. BitcoinTreasuries.org Freedom lovers adopt Bitcoin to protect liberty. Bitcoin is a 10x improvement over existing property rights, shifts power away from the state and towards the individual, enables the rise of the sovereign individual. CC to Hasu. Link to the article, A Framework for Skeptics Part 3, Bitcoin and the Promise of Independent Property Rights which is also read number 225 on this podcast. Pensions need Bitcoin to generate a positive yield. With mounting unfunded liabilities, $17 trillion in negative yielding bonds, and few options for positive yield, money managers will be forced to buy Bitcoin. It is their only hope. Millennials need Bitcoin, or they'll have fun staying poor. Millennials have been dealt a bad hand by older generations. The 2020s will make things worse. Bitcoin is their best chance to generate wealth. And Bitcoin will also eat the store of value premium on real estate, enabling home ownership. Tech companies will leverage Bitcoin to defend their moat. Money is being reinvented. Companies are scrambling to acquire territory on the new frontier. Square has an early lead at Cash App. PayPal has entered the game. Win Apple, Google, Microsoft, and Facebook. Normal people use Bitcoin as a savings technology. Rather than staying wage slaves, normal people can store the fruits of their labor in an asset that preserves their time and energy. Ostracized nations need Bitcoin to trade. The dollar hegemony excludes enemies from participating in the global financial system. Bitcoin is an open financial system accessible to all. Example, Iran is paying for imports by monetizing their energy assets through Bitcoin mining. Banks adopt Bitcoin to stay relevant. Old banking is dead. Digital mobile banking, cash app, etc. is the future. CBDCs are coming. Low interest rate environments squeeze commercial bank margins. 
Jamie Dimon should have stayed humble and stacked some sats. Humanitarians adopt Bitcoin to empower the disenfranchised. Billions of individuals don't have access to basic financial services or are oppressed by their governments. Entrepreneurs like Ray Paxful leverage Bitcoin and other tools to bank the unbanked, quote-unquote, in developed countries. Politicians support Bitcoin because their constituents demand it. As more citizens own Bitcoin, they will elect more representatives who support Bitcoin. When powerful people own Bitcoin, they ensure favorable laws. A clip from GMA3 interview with Cynthia Loomis. Senator-elect, uh, you got another first under your belt. This one, uh, very interesting. You're the first senator to own Bitcoin. I'm going to be fully transparent here and say I'm not well-versed in Bitcoin, but I know that there are a couple people who believe, yes, you should be an advocate for this type of currency, and that there are other people who are raising some concerns that this could be a, a front for money laundering or for some sort of tax evasion. Where do you stand? Where how, Do you hope to bring Bitcoin uh, into the national conversation? I do hope to bring Bitcoin into the national conversation. I'm a former state treasurer and I invested our state's permanent funds. So I was always looking for a good store of value and uh, Bitcoin uh, fits that bill. Uh, our own currency inflates. Uh, Bitcoin does not. It's uh, 21 million Bitcoin will be mined and that's it. It is a finite supply. Uh, so I have confidence that this is going to be an important player in stores of value for a long time to come. Well, we are more well-versed now after that answer. And, uh, so and next, boomers need Bitcoin to protect their nest egg. Pensions and Social Security are underfunded. Boomers need Bitcoin to retire with peace of mind. Governments will adopt Bitcoin as a hedge against currency failure. Just as governments and central banks hold gold today, Bitcoin will serve as a hedge against state failure. Small nations will adopt Bitcoin to leapfrog ahead of no-coiner nations. Environmentalists will adopt Bitcoin to preserve the planet. The fiat system produces massive negative externalities on the environment. Bitcoin reduces flared methane, reduces waste, incentivizes R&D for low-cost energy production, and minimizes fiat externalities. Americans adopt Bitcoin because it preserves American values. Bitcoin is a tool that empowers an individual's life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. What is more American than that? Cyber hornets protect Bitcoin because it enables a better world. Driven by curiosity, seeking truth, and fighting for freedom, the cyber hornets defend the network at all cost. What else besides Bitcoin aligns humanitarians, billionaires, governments, environmentalists, and cyber hornets? Each group offers unique advantages that strengthen the network. Each marginal user improves the chance of success. Quote, show me the incentives and I'll show you the outcome. Bitcoin is a force of nature that systematically aligns the incentives of the human race. Bitcoin's global dominance is all but guaranteed. And that concludes the thread by Brandon Quittam on all the bull cases for Bitcoin.
Uh, let me go back. Or how did I get? I just lost the end of this thing. Um, okay, here we go. Uh, and he does have a uh, thank you for the inspiration, and then tags a bunch of people. Um, basically, everybody we've read on this show: um, uh, Breed Love, Michael Saylor, Matt O'Dell, uh, Hasu Fly, uh, uh, Nathaniel Whitmore, uh, the Paxful Ray from Paxful, Jeff Booth, Chamath. Um, Pa- uh, <laughs> I can't say that name, but it, uh, he's the guy who was in the CNBC, CNBC clip earlier in the episode. And then, of course, Marty Bent. And uh, just a really great thread kind of hitting so many of the core ideas of going into really kind of laying out the, the consequences of our current financial environment and how Bitcoin poses such a relief valve to so many different uh, so many different areas, so many different um, uh, disparate groups. And this is right in line with the idea that Bitcoin is money for enemies. It aligns so many different people for, a, for essentially a single, um, a highly sought-after and hard-to-find uh, utility. And that utility is trust. And it is one that, based on the monetary policy of Bitcoin grows in value significantly as more people discover it. Um, and uh, as it's talked, referenced in, you know, so many different places, Dergigi and his, uh, some of his pieces, um, I mean, so many people have talked about this. Bitcoin maximalist is just kind of like a, a very common meme is that it is a black hole of value. Um, and the beauty of the having, the beauty of the um, ever-decreasing issuance rate and inflation rate of the, of the Bitcoin monetary unit is that it takes less and less percent increase in adoption. Fewer and fewer new people need to get on board in relation to the number of people who are already there to continue the increase, uh, uh, an equal or relative uh, uh, increase in value of Bitcoin, the asset. So as it becomes more adopted to continue to increase its value, it requires less additional adoption because the inflation rate is that uh, additional amount of the monetary unit that is coming into the economy. So it basically behaves as the buffer on uh, how, how much value can increase in the each individual unit versus the economy that grows. So like when, um, you know, early on in Bitcoin's lifespan, when the amount of Bitcoin in circulation over a year tripled, then if there was triple the steady adoption, uh, triple the economy that adopted Bitcoin, uh, then it would essentially have resulted in no price increase because the monetary unit tripled at the same time that the economic productivity and the economic network tripled. Whereas when... Um, when you're at 1.6, 1.7% inflation-ish like we are right now, a 1.7% increase in the economic trust, in the economic adoption of Bitcoin results in no roughly zero price increase. But a 2% results in a price increase because it crosses that buffer of the inflation rate. And that inflation rate continues to fall as we reach more saturation. So as we essentially have less growth potential, there is also less Bitcoin to counter that growth. Um, and therefore the only thing that can respond is the price. And as the price, as the, the trust in its price continuing to store value and grow in value, 
becomes more and more reliable as the Lindy effect grows and it survives for longer and continues to increase in value for longer, all of these disparate groups will, will see it as the most important hedge that you can make. And at no time will the inflation rate ever increase again. At the end of the day, there is only 21 million. It's literally going to suck up, this <laughs> going to suck up so much value in the world, it's going to be crazy. Um, and uh, the fact that we already have incredibly powerful scaling potential uh, solutions like the Lightning Network and already coming advancements to the Lightning Network, uh, I think we're talking about hundreds of millions of users in, in very short order. Orders of magnitude increase while the inflation rate is still only 1.7%. So it's going to be a crazy couple of years. Um, uh, let's take a break real quick and hit uh, our sponsor for today's show. Everybody knows that cold storage is a critical part of Bitcoin savings, particularly during a bull market. You don't want to buy $4,000 worth of Bitcoin thinking it's not a whole lot and then find out very quickly that it's $10,000, $20,000 worth of Bitcoin and you have not properly secured it. Suddenly it's a lot and now you don't know what to do with it. Get a hardware wallet early, prepare for the move, and an excellent, minimal, very easy to use, secure, Swiss-made, and open-source hardware wallet is the BitBox. It's the BitBox O2. I really am a big fan of this thing, and I would not have uh, agreed to their sponsorship if I wasn't. Their desktop app is as simple as it gets. Their default uh, backup on a micro SD card. I genuinely prefer to writing down seed words on little note cards and stuff. And the Bitcoin only option for the firmware helps to know that you have the smallest attack surface possible. So check them out at guyswan.com slash bitbox. And now for the people who I'll probably repeat this again a little later just because I know some people will skip the ads, but there is a, a PSA that I want to make for anyone who is getting their hardware wallet now. Um, wherever it is that you're getting it, buy it from the manufacturer. No matter what uh, Bitbox or uh, Trezor or Ledger or KeepKey or Kobo, whatever it is that you are getting, do not buy it on a reseller. This is something that so many people don't realize how important it is, particularly particularly noobs uh, who come into this space. They just immediately go straight to Amazon and they're like, oh, BitBox, and uh, they search it. Please don't do that. You want to get it the, the, um, for hardware wallets and things like that. The manufacturing chain is the largest vulnerability for those devices. If you get a hardware wallet, please get it from the person who manufactures the hardware wallet and nowhere else. I'm going to do an episode more specifically about uh, a lot of practices and stuff around this um, uh, very soon, uh, just because I know there are tons of noobs or new people coming into the space, and I keep getting this question a lot. Um, but that is one thing that I had uh, somebody uh, recently say they were doing, and I immediately was like, oh, dear God, no, please. Um, because uh, there are so many scams that will resell hardware wallets and then literally on a little note card in the thing will say, here's your uh, seed phrase, which means that they have it. And your seed phrase is, that that is the key, that is the actual Bitcoin, which means that if they have a copy, which if they gave it to you on, written down on a card, if you didn't generate it when you plugged into the device, somebody else has it. And that means they own your Bitcoin 
not you. So for those who aren't aware, I'm going to try to make a habit of repeating this uh, probably with every episode now uh, because I forget that people that that's not a default assumption for people um, and uh, just don't buy any hardware wallets from resellers. All right, so that's enough of a PSA here. Um, uh, let's get a little bit into this thread before we close out today's episode. Uh, so there really is, there really are so many different uh, like various incentives that align to, uh, to make Bitcoin successful. Um, and one of the big reasons is everyone, everyone looking for yield right now. It's, we are inherently in an environment that has no yield or has incredibly unreliable or shaky yield. Like uh, equities that continue to go up in price, even though their P&E ratios are utter garbage. The whole P&E model has been basically trashed in the last 10 to 20 years because equities are now just a way to park value. They now have a monetary premium because there's nowhere else to store value that can actually earn some sort of a yield. Treasury bonds are zero or negative, which is the basically the reference uh, for any sort of yield in the economy. Debts of almost all kinds are too risky, except unless you're getting that very first funnel, that's that uh, right out of the money spigot, you're getting debts at essentially 0% or incredibly low interest rate, which, some, which a lot of corporations are now able to get corporate debt straight from the Federal Reserve and these other institutions, and they're getting debt at such low interest rate that they're turning around and buying their own stock to pump up the stock, which is why everybody then uh, reinflates the equities. And this can only go on for so long before either the currency is worthless or um, uh, or some sort of a, an additional credit crisis happens and it can never be unfolded. You end up getting in this really horrible, stagnant area, kind of like uh, the Japan, uh, the Japanese economy has since the 90s. And it's just not a healthy or sustainable place to be. And for the dollar, being the global reserve currency, basically we have the farthest to fall. So it's got the greatest risk for if we continue this until something really breaks. But even just looking for yield, and that's where he starts out, is that investors buy Bitcoin to generate wealth. And it is one of the only things that cannot be manipulated, whose supply cannot be increased, where you're actually getting a fair price, like a real price of the asset. And doing so, there's going to be a huge wealth transfer. And the more investors see this as an avenue, which in the last year, the entire mentality of the legacy markets and uh, legacy investors has changed massively. They have started to look at this thing seriously. And that alone uh, is, is going to spark a flood. And when it does... It will reinforce all of these, every other bull case down this line. Every other pension fund and the billionaires who are trying to protect their wealth, who can no longer retire on a treasury. You can't, you know, you take $50 million to buy treasuries and you get a tiny percent return now. Whereas used to, if you, like uh, uh, Michael Saylor talks about this, if you wanted to retire and you could get 5% interest, like a real interest rate in the economy, you could have a million dollars in savings. A normal person who could save over a 30-year period, over their, their, the bulk of their career, could have a million dollars saved up, and if they could get 5% interest, which is not unreasonable, that's a standard interest rate in a healthy economy that's not absolutely drowning in debt and 
having manipulated centralized price controls on, on debt to begin with, um, 5% is $50,000 a year. You can live off of that. But now it takes 20 times that amount of money because the interest rate is being lied about, because the interest rate is being manipulated. So the average person can't retire. They're having to depend on Social Security. And as he stated a little bit later on in the thread, Social Security is nothing anymore. It's completely valueless. It's not, it's not a retirement anymore. You're not, even, you're not even getting close to the value you put in it because of the A, uh, manipulated interest rates, and then also B, because of the uh, constant degrading of the value you put into it. It's about the crappiest place you could have put your money all those, uh, for all those years. And not only did you have to put in 7%, but your employer had to put in 7%, which doesn't mean that they're doing it on your behalf. They're just giving, they're just, it's, it's just 14% of what they would have been able to pay you in the market uh, that goes to Social Security. So you just lost another 7%. You didn't gain it from the employer. And anybody who thinks they can retire off of Social Security is living in a fairyland. And it's going to get so much worse in such a short span of time that even if somehow they can live off of it today, good luck next year because your Social Security payout doesn't increase. But the value of it decreases heavily. 20% this year at least. And, that, and that's not going to slow down. So uh, back to the second uh, thing that he hits. So straight from the investor's uh, billionaires are going to need a place, very wealthy people are going to need a place to protect their wealth because right now it is at risk everywhere. And most importantly, there is a huge risk of financial infrastructure. The entire infrastructure of the legacy system uh, basically uh, potentially breaking. Um, like there's, It's not arbitrary that central banks are talking about CBDCs, that they're talking about the Great Reset. You don't want to hold assets. If you're holding on to those liabilities, or excuse me, if you're holding on to those assets that are other people's liabilities, and it gets uh, basically wiped out in some great reset, those people have to divest. Those people have to get out of that. They're going to try to dump those on other people. And where are they going to go? If, if, if we're talking about a potential of an infrastructure collapse, of a, uh, another uh, credit crisis that we can't pull out of, because we've, we've hurt the currency too much. Where do they put their wealth? Where do they hide it? Where do they, how do they protect it from confiscation, from having to move from one country to another, from having to escape a jurisdiction that attempts to confiscate it, which will happen more and more to try to escape capital controls, to escape the next Lehman Brothers or Bear Stearns? What are their options? And Chamath said it, or Chamath, uh, I don't know how to say his name, um, but he said it in this, that Bitcoin is the ultimate schmuck insurance because it's not merely a hedge against inflation. It's a hedge against the very infrastructure of the global financial system because you're external to it. The whole thing could collapse. Central banks could go offline. The entire banking network could go offline. SWIFT could go offline. But if you hold Bitcoin, the in infrastructure is completely different. The Bitcoin nodes don't know if SWIFT is up or not. They don't ping the Federal Reserve Bank. It has its own completely separate jurisdictionless infrastructure. And there is no digital asset in the world that has that. It's all tied systemically to the financial system. If it breaks, basically everything else is at risk except Bitcoin. It's really kind of crazy to think about it. That literally, it's a completely separate financial infrastructure. It's the only thing that has nothing to do, like all the nodes, like I'm, I'm a node, you know, like I am helping to run this thing. 
and I assist in the propagation of everyone's transactions. Now, another uh, uh, feedback loop, I guess you could say, um, which is the next one he hits, is Bitcoiners adopt Bitcoin because it's the right thing to do. Um, uh, there is a moral and uh, you know, liberty-minded perspective for the value of Bitcoin. Um, but one of the major things is that as it continues to soak up more value, the Bitcoiners themselves become the new capital allocators. And they will make wholly different decisions than those in the mindset of the legacy system. The incentives, the how the value accrues in Bitcoin, the long-term mindset is literally polar opposite from the, from the system in which that value is being taken from and uh, uh, with Bitcoin where the value is being sucked into. So for every dollar of value, for every new sat purchased by a new economic actor, um, uh, that's, that's pulling the value into the Bitcoin system, an entirely different set of incentives, an entirely different set of economic behaviors emerge on the other side that correct for these mistakes, and it accelerates. The more it's adopted, it's very much like the network effect, except in uh, economic decision-making. And I think he's entirely right that Bitcoiners will build a better world. The more capital allocated to uh, the correct incentives and the correct long-term mindset, the better things get built, the more sustainable the replacement infrastructure becomes because it's aligned. Things are properly aligned. Now, the real bullish case is the next piece that he hits, the one that I think is really driving the current environment and will uh, basically drive the, uh, the billionaires, the pensioners, um, the uh, investors to Bitcoin is the one that I think is the dominant, I think it's the dominant narrative that's playing out right now. And the others will basically be uh, laggards uh, as the corporate, um, the corporate treasury narrative uh, starts to gain steam. Um, I think it is, it is rolling along at a serious pace right now. I think um, uh, with MicroStrategy, and these other institutions, Square, Grayscale, all of these uh, large hedge funds and corporate institutions that are putting uh, Bitcoin on their balance sheets to essentially protect their wealth. I think that is what's driving the current, um, uh, the current run, the current bull market right now. I think uh, Michael Saylor was basically the first domino and, um, well, the first major domino that was clearly falling. And I think every sensible a uh, respectable boardroom in the nation started talking about Bitcoin in the months since. And in the next three to four months, I think we will see a lot of announcements that new corporations uh, have added Bitcoin to their balance sheets and they're doing it right now, but they're not going to announce until they're done. Uh, and one of the things that leads me to think, uh, aside from just the the natural incentives and the basic logic of, you know, you get social permission to do something from someone who makes a very loud, bold move like micro strategy. And then you see their stock double and then Bitcoin comes back into the news. Um, and uh, suddenly you have all these major investors like uh, uh, Chamath, um, uh, Druck uh, Miller, uh, uh, Paul Tudor Jones. I mean, I mean, you name it. There's like five or six really big ones that have come out very recently. Suddenly in support of Bitcoin, JP Morgan has just turned, uh, basically done a 180 on their original assessment of Bitcoin, uh, as well as PayPal. Like all of these major players that have made the turn, 
I think just show that the mentality is changing, that the entire thought process around this thing is a legitimate uh, store of value and a legitimate um, uh, place to store wealth for very large players has suddenly come into its own. So aside from just the basic social permission and the Overton window shift, you could say, and uh, in how to think about it, another major indicator that this is in fact happening uh, is that uh, is the amount of Bitcoin on exchanges. So one of the crazy things about this recent run, and if you go to glassnode.com, um, which actually the, the, the data is really delayed right now because you have to pay uh, to get to the updated data. I think it's like three months behind if you, if you use the free version. Um, but a lot of people have been posting it. And I think there are other places to get it. I don't know them off the top of my head, unfortunately. Um, but to get the balance sheets, the, the balances of Bitcoin that are being stored on exchanges, typically when you have a giant run up in the price, you have the amount of Bitcoin on exchanges increase with it. They increase at the exact same time. Why? Because, you know, the price doubles, more people are depositing to exchanges so that they can sell. And this is natural. This is what we've seen. And it makes sense as well from a retail perspective mindset um, or a retail investor mindset. They make a bit of profit. They want to get back into dollars. They, these aren't long-term. Uh, there's a lot of froth in that market, as I said in a recent uh, episode. And they're, they're just there to, you know, make 20% and be like, oh, look at all the new dollars I have. And then they, uh, and then they sell it. So because of that, you have really wild swings. But the fact that we're seeing a, a sharp decrease in the balances that are held on exchanges suggests that the people who are buying right now in this price run up are large institutions or large investors that are making very long term positions. They aren't depositing to sell. They are withdrawing to cold storage. They are withdrawing to uh, explicit, potentially corporate treasuries. And I think that's reinforcing the idea that the environment we are in now is very different from the previous bull runs, or at least the initial peaks that uh, typically resulted in very, very sharp declines. Um, it's possible that we do not see either, either uh, until we get a lot more retail investment and trader activity, um, which I think is basically happening now. You know, the longer this goes on, the more confident the the froth is going to be, that there's going to be movement, and therefore it kind of becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. But it also means that this run could go quite a bit longer than it appears. So we'll have to wait and see, but it's really interesting to see that this, is, uh, th this data point, this specific data point is actually uh, the opposite of historically what we have seen. Next in line, we got freedom lovers. And this is where I still can't believe that the libertarian community, just in general, like Dave Smith and Tom Woods, Jason Stapleton, you know, all these, all these liberty podcasters and kind of the quote-unquote thought leaders of the liberty movement aren't talking about Bitcoin every single day. It is the best opportunity for securing independent uh, a state external property rights as any opportunity we have ever had in history. I mean, it is literally the most fascinating thing about Bitcoin from my perspective and uh, one of the greatest uh, possibilities for the sovereign individual. Like, like, this is what lends to the rise of the sovereign individual. And I think that just, on its face, that is just absolutely revolutionary. And to, the, to have that 
coincide with a feedback loop for investors and billionaires and corporate treasuries is unbelievably powerful. And then we got pensions. Pensions are one of the most uh, painfully positioned things that you could get in this market, like uh, public pensions and uh, where everybody thinks people are going to be retiring. There is no sustainability in it. The unfunded liabilities are staggering. And in this current environment, there is no way for them to protect their value. The people who think they're going to retire off of their pension uh, do not realize that the funds to actually uh, keep that pension afloat simply don't exist. And the percentages and the promises that are uh, placed on those liabilities that have been building up throughout the entire boomer generation from the freaking 70s and the 80s and on, uh, those liabilities are shocking. There is no way whatsoever. We're talking about like 100 to 1 a liability to actual capital available and the actual flow to fund what is potentially needed. And this is coming to a head very, very quickly. I think this is exactly why everybody's talking, the, you know, world, uh, the World Economic Forum is talking about this great reset is because they know they're screwed. They know that the whole gig is up in just a couple of years as these withdrawals from the system begin and all of these people retire. It simply can't hold up. And what are those pensions are going to do? They're literally either going to die or they're going to find a place to put their money that actually has yield. Bitcoin will be a necessity for certain institutions and money managers in, uh, in that environment and in those positions. It could literally end up being a buy Bitcoin or die uh, sort of situation for a lot of these people. And I don't think it gets any better with time. I think it will only, uh, it will only accelerate. Then you have uh, the next thing that he brings up, uh, millennials. So millennials are completely accepting of the digital value proposition of the digital monetary um, asset. They don't have the reluctance of boomers and the older generations. Uh, the millennials are already completely accepting of it. And uh, the percentages for the demographic of the older demographics that see Bitcoin as kind of a toy or like, you know, a very small potential thing that I don't see how it has any value. It's um, not no intrinsic value, et cetera, et cetera. The percentage of millennials and younger generations, Zoomers, et cetera, that understand uh, that, that are completely okay with the idea of a digital asset having value and it's just completely native and makes perfect sense to them and then will at the same time inherit uh, the older generation's wealth. We talked about this with Peter uh, Rizzo, I think, Pete, Pete Rizzo, um, if I'm not mistaken, talking about how just in the most conservative measure of looking at the millennial generation and the, the, their perspective on what allocation to Bitcoin uh, and just digital assets in general uh, makes sense and how uh, accepting they are of it, just taking the most conservative investment uh, perspective possible and eliminating all of the other issues, all of the corporate treasuries, all the billionaires trying to protect their money, all the capital controls, all the pension funds, all the negative yielding debt, uh, that needs to be dumped. All of these things, just throw all that away and just look at the millennial generation, their general acceptance of Bitcoin and what the allocation of their wealth and production would be without adding anything new, without additional um, acceptance of it happening in the future. You're looking at a trillion dollars moving into Bitcoin. That alone is a tripling and or quadrupling of the price. 
Because again, the supply is inelastic. All it can do is become more valuable. And when something like that happens, just from a generational perspective, even without any new technology, any novel approaches, any novel uh, uh, applications for it, again, throwing out all the other bull cases that we have just talked about, when that alone is talking about a 3 to 4x uh, increase in the price, it reinforces everything else. Again, these are all feedback loops. So every time one of these is even remotely successful in the bullish case for uh, Bitcoin becoming more important and more valuable, it reinforces the need and the perspective and the permission for all of these other bullish cases to jump in that feedback loop and accelerate it. Then he hits the next one, tech, tech companies uh, defending their moat. You know, the right incumbents, Cash App, every, every tech company that is not getting into Bitcoin should be looking at Square and getting incredibly nervous. The amount of increase in revenue and, um, uh, uh, and quarter over quarter business that they have done just by selling Bitcoin within their app is unbelievable. This is why PayPal has just thrown all of their criticism out the window and said, we got to get on this train. You think Apple, Google, Microsoft, and Facebook, Facebook aren't looking at this? You think, you think Facebook is just going to keep playing with their Libra and hope it comes to fruition and just watch this train leave without them? You think Apple, who is sitting on staggering amounts of cash, is just going to watch that bleed out uh, with this uh, financial environment and the horrible inflation that we're seeing right now? You think Microsoft's decentralized identity system uh, is not going to be connected to or um, which is being built on a side chain on top of Bitcoin? You think they're not planning on getting involved? You don't think they're trying to make a position in this way? And the first ones that do, if we're talking about a bull market, again, it's a feedback loop. The first ones that do get such a huge head start on the others that, they, that we get corporate FOMO and everybody has to get in. It's really kind of a scary proposition, honestly, how fast this could move once things really start to move. And we have some major players who have shown their hand and now the, everybody else in this space has to, has to either watch, the, watch their major competitors skyrocket and do nothing or jump on as quickly as they can. And they will do so quietly. And that's why I think we're not hearing much right now. That's why I think the price is, has just doubled in a matter of two months or two and a half, three months. But it's kind of all quiet on the Western front despite this price increase. I mean, Bitcoiners obviously are talking about it every day, like look at the tweets on Bitcoin Twitter, but it's still very tiny in the Google searches. Um, it's, it's barely now hitting the news cycle, and I think there's not a whole lot of froth in this current bull run. It'll come, but uh, I, I think there's some wind left in this uh, before we get there. And then we see just the average person. Um, savings. Savings is a thing of the past, and it's going to come back in full force. People are looking for ways to save. People are trying to get out of debt, um, and people are looking for an escape from the wage trap that they have been stuck in for decades. And I think Bitcoin is providing that, and will continue to do so because it's about our money. The reason that trap exists is because of how manipulated and corrupted our money is. And more people are discovering that every day. Um, and just the very, I, the, the very concept or the very fact that people are now using the term fiat money 
constantly. Um, that this is becoming a normal, uh, I mean, at least obviously in fiat circles, but I think it's becoming even more common on the news, on CNBC. We're seeing the term fiat money. That is proof that we are winning. We are winning in the world of ideas. Nobody ever classified dollars as anything other than just plain money. Now that it comes with an identifier, that's a big deal. And we need to push that hard. The dollar is fiat money, not real money. But going back to capital controls, this is where um, uh, Brandon Quidham brings up ostracized nations. Uh, and this was one of the craziest things that I just did not, I never thought would happen this early in the game. Uh, and I think this is the second uh, domino guys take episode uh, that I did a couple weeks ago is that Iran has now the license they built or the license they created for miners within their country um, now requires them to sell the Bitcoin to their central bank. Um, and that is because, and I'm, I'm sure they don't have many contracts. I'm sure there's very little activity happening here. Um, uh, so far, you know, they need a buyer on the other end that's willing to accept Bitcoin. They are literally making moves to, uh, to use Bitcoin for its censorship resistant proper, uh, properties so that they can get around the, uh, the banking capital controls. They can avoid using the U.S. dollar. They can have their capital, they can have large amounts of capital cross the Iranian border without needing dollars, without needing the legacy banking infrastructure, and they can trade with the, the other nations around them. That's insane. That's absolutely insane that we've already reached that point. Again, it's peanuts. We're still looking at the very, we're looking at the seed of a huge oak tree that could grow out of this. But the fact that they are seeing it for what it is, for that potential, is massive. God, I've probably said, I've probably said the word massive like 30 times so far in this episode. Um, <laughs> man, I don't even think I have, I don't have time to go back through all of this. So I'm going to need to close out the episode. And it sucks, we're only basically halfway through this guy's thread. Um, but uh, it, it's just amazing how many feedback loops there are in this and how many disparate groups uh, we get to banking uh, and mobile banking and how fintech is basically uh, uh, disrupting so many things. And just like with the fold card, the cash app with Strike, I now have bank accounts like I have apps on my phone. Literally, I have uh, you know, bank accounts and routing numbers with so many of these app now, apps now, uh, which is just crazy to think about that it's just become that easy to set it up and i think it's going to continue to be and a lot of the younger generations are going to use this more and more um and uh humanitarians like as censorship uh uh increases as surveillance increases as deplatforming and cancel culture continues to increase humanitarians are going to need things like bitcoin look at wikileaks look at any and all politically unsavory or um, risky ventures. Um, look, at, look at completely legal businesses like the cannabis uh, businesses that cannot even get banking services. They're literally being deplatformed for a legal business. Same thing with uh, a pornography. Same thing with you know any sort of ins uh, uh, like volunteer institution or uh, leaking uh, institution that's trying to uncover the corruption of. Uh, states around the world, it's become harder and harder for them to uh, secure their own funds. 
And it's becoming easier and easier for these corrupt governments and these oppressive regimes to basically shut them down, to basically lock them up in a cage where they just don't have access to anything because so many of our platforms, so many of our banking and monetary institutions now are so heavily centralized and uh, have such strong oversight and connection to these governments themselves. Again, that is only getting worse. And uh, as it does, they will have nothing to turn to. Um, I don't see the banks getting less trigger happy with uh, shutting these uh, different groups down. In fact, I see it happening more and more. It's, it's getting strikingly easy to pull this stuff off. Social media is doing it, and you're seeing um, attempts to migrate all over the place. There is no stronger environment. The incentives are perfectly aligned to try to correct for those awful mistakes and for these, uh, these trends towards censorship and manipulation. And, you know, we're, we're going to get more senators. <laughs> we're gonna get, we, have a, we have a U.S. senator who is a serious Bitcoiner. That is not insignificant. And if we really get into another bull run, the next couple of elections that come around in uh, two years, four years, uh, I think that number grows extensively. That will be one very, very interesting place to keep an eye on, is to see how the political environment unfolds as we get more and more Bitcoiners, as we get more corporations storing their value in Bitcoin. Uh, like, those are the lobbyists. What laws do they protect, or what laws do they push, and which senators do they back when their only safe haven is Bitcoin? Again, that one is a bit of a, I genuinely think that that's something that could happen very quickly and is sort of a black swan sort of, I don't know, black swan, I don't want to abuse that word here, but it's something that I think could uh, move very, very quickly and be a huge game changer in short order because of the very institutions and the very, uh, uh, the, the wealthy people who are, who I think will get into Bitcoin during this phase. Uh, or during this cycle. And then, uh, basically, let me just wrap up with these other ones. Uh, governments will adopt Bitcoin as a hedge. Um, I, I genuinely think there will be, uh, I think a lot of fiat currency will only be kept alive because the infrastructure is backed by gold and Bitcoin. Um, and that risk becomes, or, or that possibility becomes more and more likely as fiat systems continue to falter. Um, and more importantly, the value of, the, of that fiat um, continues to decline. Uh, and after they have something like 50%, 80%, 90% inflation over a couple of years, um, that'll be the only way to actually uh, correct the trend. Essentially, destroy, make the whole population pay for all of their failures, um, which is horribly immoral and evil, but nonetheless, I think that's what the government is going to do. Um, and they're going to try to rope every, everybody into a replacement with a promise of we'll, uh, we'll pay off your liabilities, you know, like the Great Reset thing. I mean, that's, that's what exactly what everybody's talking about. This is being pushed. This is not being pushed arbitrarily. Uh, listen to the episode I did with Adam Curry. It's pretty freaking scary. And listen to his No Agenda podcast. He's got a, he really goes into this a lot. It's kind of nuts how out in the open this whole thing is. But I think that's what's going to happen. Something, something like that is going to be uh, pushed really, really hard. Um, and everyone who is exposed to the fiat system is going to be uh, at huge risk, um, particularly 
the middle class and the poor because they will appear to get the best deal um, but they will absolutely get the short end of the stick because the wealthy will have the opportunity to divest uh, very quickly and of course the banks and the central banks will have more control than they have ever had before now his point towards the end here about environmentalists this is the one that i think will be the hardest mental gap to cover um i truly think bitcoin is on net long term a massive incentive for uh environmentalism for uh, uh uh energy efficiency for as little or no waste as possible for um uh, and in fact uh if you listen to like phil barber and i think marty bent had an episode on this recently as well if i'm not mistaken um i can't remember which one maybe it was the one with ryan gentry they talked about it um but how uh energy producers are legitimately like non-sarcastically bringing up bitcoin uh, as more environmental laws and regulations uh get put on the books that they can get rid of their flared methane that they can start capping off these these additional excesses and wastes of energy and using it to mine bitcoin the fact that this thing is now a player in the global energy sphere is really going to change that dynamic and uh i got a great episode and nick a piece by nick carter and then we talk about it extensively afterward in the guys take um about the last um the the last what is it the last word in bitcoin's energy consumption uh, so I will link to that one in the show notes as well. I'll try to remember all of these uh, that I put up here, but uh, I might I might miss a couple, and I'm sorry if I do. And then lastly, um, well, uh, we'll ignore cyber hornets because we already talked about Bitcoin, uh, but American values. This is something that I thought was really interesting, and uh, we read a great piece by Connor Brown? Yeah, I think it was Connor Brown. It was like a a, a bold... A bold American future. That's what it was. Um, and he really gets into how Bitcoin is, is the codification of those American values, of the new frontier, of, uh, of going west, of being totally independent and taking an adventure, you know, like being sovereign. It really is the rebirth of the American dream. Um, like that's, that's what it was about. It was about being totally dependent on yourself. And I think just like the Wild West gave a promise of a new life and uh, the promise of potential riches and the promise of independence, I think Bitcoin is renewing that promise. And where our political systems and legacy systems have completely lost sight of what this country was about and the values have been basically bastardized, I think this is a place where it's being renewed. Um, and I think we should lean on that a lot more than we actually do. Um, uh, and, and like I said, to have that uh, coincide with all of these other value cases, um, to have that liberty message, to have that, that potential to restore savings, to restore yield to corporate treasuries and you know, incredibly wealthy people, to save uh, pensions for the middle class and uh, uh, hedge funds and, and to basically give an escape valve to everyone who has been stuck in this financial trap, this race that seems to go nowhere and where it, it's just it's literally just a race to the bottom to give people an out. I think the acceleration of of that 
is as more and more people understand it and more and more people seek something that they can actually trust where they don't have to depend on somebody else that they can be independent and uh, take back control of their own lives i think that is going to change the world and uh, I mean, that's why I'm here, right? That's why I imagine most of you are here. Now, I've got one final thought that I want to leave you with. Um, but before I do, I want to just thank my patrons uh, for sticking with me through all of this and supporting the show. And I got to admit, I just love our Telegram group, the Satoshi's Audio Knots, and uh, uh, obviously the Sphinx group as well that is continuing to grow. And in addition, I got to hang out with the Raleigh crew again. I've been absent from the meetups in my area for quite some time. And it's just great to get back out and start seeing familiar faces again. Uh, but I just wanted to thank everybody in the crew and, uh, and in the audio knots for supporting this show and sharing this out. Uh, you guys really, I mean, this whole thing has only moved by word of mouth. I've never, I've really never spent any money on marketing. Uh, and it's incredible to see how much this has grown and how many new people are coming in. So a thank you to all of you. Uh, and of course, thank you to our sponsors, Hexa Wallet. They have a really awesome seedless mobile wallet that is in beta and getting better by the day. Every update adds some new feature and there's so much cool stuff on the horizon. So check them out at guyswan.com Hexa if you're looking for a really cool mobile wallet to, to check out. And of course, uh, the Bitbox hardware wallet by Shift Crypto. It has got a sleek, minimal design and just a really simple UI uh, that I think is perfect for people who are just getting into the space. Check them out at guyswan.com slash bitbox. So the, the real foundation, like putting all of this stuff together, when you align this many disparate groups and all you have to do is basically break the Overton window for them to see and understand the value of this thing, which I think is happening at an incredible pace right now. This thing isn't just going to be some digital store of value. I think it's going to be a monetary and investing, a financial, an internet, and a cultural revolution all wrapped up into one. You know, I think this is the missing piece that the internet never got that will truly have the potential to restructure it from the ground up and that on the other side of this thing is incredible prosperity for billions of people. With that, I will catch you on the next one. I am Guy Swan, this is Bitcoin Audible, and until then, take it easy guys. This has been a 111 production, and you are listening to Bitcoin Audible on the Crypto Economy Network.